and welcome back to Cooking the Books with me, Jilly Smith, the podcast which takes us through four food moments from the books of our favourite food writers. It's about all of life through the prism of food. And this week I'm with chef, TV presenter and now finally author, Andy Oliver. My Britishness is innate and inherent and inescapable. So, you know, I could no more say I'm not British than I could say, I don't know, I'm not a 60-year-old bald black woman. She's one of the most successful black women on British TV, a respected pundit on Caribbean cooking on Radio 4's The Kitchen Cabinet, and rocking it in the best frocks on the telly in the Great British Menu. And after her return to her ancestral home of Antigua with her daughter Makita for the BBC, she's rethinking her connection with who she is. Her mix of musings and recipes from her trip through the Caribbean are captured in her first book, The Pepperpot Diaries a stirring together of her stories and complex layers of identity. I asked her what took her so long to write it. Time, really. (laughs) Just finding time. And I think, you know, what I've discovered about writing that I really like, actually, is that it's, um, it's quite a meditative process for me. I mean, I'm assuming it is that for everybody I don't know but for me certainly it was something that I sort of the world slowed down and then my world slowed down and then I was able to 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 kind of find a through road with it I guess and once I started I was go I was in full flow but just to get started and find that space to kind of really know which roads I wanted to 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 kind of traverse and what threads I wanted to pull at and the kind of directions that I wanted to go in. I think everything had to had to be halted like that for some reason for me. Um, you know, the last... Since the first time we actually spoke, which was about eight years ago now, yeah. those eight years have been pretty hectic, like non-stop, and each year has got sort of madder and madder and madder. So... Finding the time. When I say the book's been swirling around, there's just been some, the desire to write has been a, a, a thing for me for a long time. Working out what I wanted to write and how I wanted to write it and the sort of sense I wanted to make of it has, has taken me longer to get to, I, I think, maybe as well. So um, obviously the pandemic was really hard for so many people. For me, there was a there was a part of it that was a blessing in that everything slowed down and stopped and I could actually take time to reflect and sort of think about what I wanted to do and it was amazing. It's a book about identity and, you know, a lot of people talk about food and identity on this show. It's my favourite subject. It's about connection. It's about who we are and how we, you know, how we process ourselves through what we eat and how we eat. When we first met, it was a very different time. It was before all the telly, really. Um, I remember going down Stoke Newington High Street and seeing the sign of Andes for the very first time. It was a real epiphany for you. I mean, you'd done loads of stuff before that. But the person who you were was very London. You know, you were the legacy of Rip Rig and Panic. You were Nana Cherry's best mate. You were a mum. You were a cook. You know, you were probably the first black woman to play a significant role in TV food as well. You know, there's a lot of stuff that you've been doing as a, as a black woman first. But it always seemed to me to be a very sort of London black woman. Since then, you've become a much deeper kind of authority on Caribbean cooking. You've put your threads together about where you come from. So tell me, who are you now? Um, I think 
because I'm not actually from London, but I am a Londoner. You know, so many Londoners aren't really from London, are we? Do you know what I mean? We're from all over the place. Whilst, so all of that stuff that you just described is, is undoubtedly a true thing, but I guess that's from the outside looking in. From the inside looking out, it's been quite the decade, because I turned 60 this year. I'm 60 at the end of May, so it's almost like from my 50th to my... At my 50th, I was still in the pub in Columbia Road at the Birdcage, and on my 60th, I'm, you know, my book comes out a month before I turn 60, and all these other amazing things are going on. So it feels like a natural process of stepping into myself and inhabiting my space uh in in and i think this is true for most people if we're lucky enough to get older is that the older you get the more clear you are about the space that you inhabit and the steps that you want to tread and the way that you stand up in in your own self you know so i i think it's um it's one of those things that when it's observed from the outside it seems more extraordinary than it feels from the inside because I think how I feel happens to quite a lot of people at this point in their life in that they feel more themselves they feel more clear they feel more confident they feel more able to hold their space at the table or build their own table if that's what they need to do um and and the confidence and wisdom that comes with age is I mean you know it's literally a blessing it's I'm just I can't even believe how happy I am much happier I am at this point in my life it's like oh goodness you know the phrase waiting to exhale I have I'm well and truly exhaling on a daily basis you know you let go of so many things and and when you make that space you know by by letting go of sort of certain neuroses and all sorts of other things so many things are able to enter your universe you know in the most powerful clear simple way totally i mean i'm 60 a month before you and i'm going through a lot of those uh feelings too i totally totally agree with you i'm doing things that i would never have done even 10 years ago but what you talk about is place and it's really interesting that you say you're not really from london you know you're from suffolk you t- you talk about you know britain before the lights went on then you went to cyprus as a child this journey is about going back to Antigua, to the Caribbean, to look at the roots, but you never really came from there. And there's a lot of reference to that. And like the, what I found really interesting about this book is it, it felt like it's a book in two parts. The cooking is where you say you talk about that confidence. You talk about how you're, you know, you worked very hard on getting the recipes right. You're clear about what you intend with that. The essays and the kind of the, the walk through the Caribbean feels more tentative. It feels less grounded you say that you're trying to find the place to be grounded I'm not sure you found it through that journey it feels like you're still looking I don't think one ever really just lands and then you go oh right that's it now I'm now I'm now I'm done (laughs) it's an ongoing thing do you know what I mean because I think at each door that you go through uh, more questions are posed each time you make a have a revelation or a realization 
it, it are, more questions are asked because of that, rec- that revelation. And it is somewhat tentative at times because you just don't know what's around the corner. It's interesting, actually, because a lot of the things that I realised that I instinctively thought when I was much younger, I'm coming back to as an older person, you know, in terms of identity, in terms of place, in terms of connection, because I didn't feel like a... Uh, a, a person, a Caribbean woman when I was a kid because I was in Suffolk, you know. We didn't go back to the Caribbean regularly either. It was a very expensive thing to do. Now, I didn't go to the Caribbean at all till I was 16. Um, and uh, so, you know, when I got there, I remember everybody going to me, English girl, English girl. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's me. I am the English girl. And it was particularly this, that, well, not this time, but the time when I started writing the book, where I started to really feel the Antiguan-ness of myself, you know, and I realised that that didn't come from being an Antigua, that comes from being of Caribbean Antiguan parents, and that comes from my cousins and my aunties and the culture that we grew up in, the things that you, that I take that our second nature in the ways of doing things and the way I approach things in the kitchen in the way that I think about food in the way that I think about life generally so many things I understood being there this time for several months meant that I were oh this is all very recognizable I do know this this is innate in me there is a antiguaness in my core there is a Caribbean heart within my British heart you know, and a soul within the British soul as well. And I, and I think that, you know, I talk a bit in the book about, you know, this thing about being first generation born here. And it is, there is a real specificity to that when you come from a diasporic culture or a, a migrant culture. You know, you're the first ones born here from your family. So you take on that mantle in a, in a way that's different to your kids and, it, and that was different for your parents who were, you know, uh, migrant people coming here. And a lot of people who I have on the show talk about their, their response to that. Um, Gerd Loyal, who was on very recently. Um, Brilliant, Gerd Loyal. Love Gerd Loyal. Yeah. You know, Mother Tongue is a really extraordinary expression of how he feels about his hybridity. He uses that word. Yes. Intercultural. He claims it. He owns it. Whereas you kind of explore the bits that don't fit. You say things like, I can feel the echo of kitchens across the world, frying, pounding, beating and turning across the years. And there's something very settling about this, a quieting feeling. That's not owning it. It's understanding the space between you and it. I found that really interesting. It's interesting that you say that because for me, it doesn't feel like space. It feels like it feels like breathing as opposed to space. It feels like air. It feels like the space within which I can breathe and relax into as opposed to distance. It feels like a kind of connectivity that I never expected to feel and a connectivity that I realise I have always felt but never really been able to put into words and um, quantify it, actually. This was the first time that I started going, that's what that feeling is when I'm in the kitchen. That's what that feeling is when I start to instinctively reach for certain things and then I find out that it's like a old Ghanaian recipe and that's the way they used to do it. Or, you know what I mean? There's a certain uh, instinct, I guess, is what we're talking about, really. It's an inherent, innate 
kind of thing that's woven into my being that I had never really examined closely before. Um, and there is space within that for sure. It's interesting that you use that term examine closely. I had to read it a few times to really get into it. You know, if you look through the recipes, the introductions to the recipes are, are, are very light. You know, you get straight in there and, and, and it's lovely and it's very, very light and, and joyous. Um, the the essays, some of them are so powerful. You know, the story about um, Nena Cherry, obviously, but and your intense relationships with people. You know, it's the dichotomy that, feels like a metaphor for, for what you're really trying to say and you feel very deeply and you feel very angry I've seen you know, on Twitter and, and Facebook you're very angry about a lot of stuff and you said in the Caribbean journey you said you know truth is power mm -hmm. um, and and you feel the power in those essays yet yeah, the recipes are very light um i was talking to somebody at, at the Jane Griggs and Trust Awards last night one of the executives from Dorling Kindersley and she said that they'd very deliberately made the actual book itself very different in feel to the jacket. So you take the jacket off and then there's something very classic, a real kind of legacy book. There's this sort of dichotomy. There's this two things going on. I just don't think the world is one thing and I'm certainly not one thing. Um, and the world is both light and dark and bright and shining and you know, dark and powerful and stormy. I guess that what's interesting, what has been interesting to me actually in writing the book is that I, I understand that for me, cooking is a way to, to dive into those layers. Cooking is a portal that I walk through. The kitchen is the door that I walk through to get to those moments. And I guess that in the same way that I was talking about um, writing being meditative I find cooking the same you know it's a way for me to gather my thoughts and 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 to deliver something that I maybe haven't quite found the words for yet and that's what I get from your first food moment the mama's pepper pot you know it's a classic Antiguan and wider Caribbean cooking classic mm. but for you it feels like it's a lot of those nuanced feelings those complexities all put into one great big dish that actually does feel like you own it this is something that you do my grandmother I didn't know my grandmother very well because she was in Antigua or she was in Toronto and like I say we didn't have the money to travel like that and um I feel like, so she, I've got this handwritten, her recipe written, and it's like having a conversation with my grandmother when I've cooked this dish and when I think about this dish. And I think that those, that, those, those relationships, there's, for me, there's sort of been gaps, I guess, in my life because I didn't have that relationship with my grandparents. I wasn't around them. There were, my dad was a bit absent. He was in and out and in and out. And I, I sort of feel like, through cooking, I commune with them. You know, actually, that quote that you mentioned earlier about the echoes down the years, I feel that through cooking, I'm having a, a, a conversation with the people that have come before that have been instrumental to in making me who I am. My grandmother was quite an incredible woman. She's quite wild, spirited, powerful woman. She had 12 children. She did all this incredible stuff. You know, she was very 
unorthodox in the way that she lived her life and what she taught her children and how she taught them to be. And, you know, that was passed down through my mother to me. And so I'm really grateful to my grandmother. And when I cook that pepper pot, you know, she used to smoke her own oxtail. I think that's a pretty cool thing. I'm like, wow, did you, mama? She used to smoke her own oxtail. So it's like, you know, when I'm doing something like that and I realise that there are things I do in the kitchen that have come through her without me even really knowing that that's where they came from, you know? So um, I'm glad you feel like I, you can feel the connection to that dish and that pot because it's not even just that dish. There is a bit, I do talk a bit in the book, book about one pot cooking being very central to a kind of Caribbean table. So there is a thing about cooking that kind of food those slow cooks that take a couple of days that you marinate and you soak and you salt and you brine and you smoke and then the next day you put it on and you just leave it, you know. It's like, I think people think those things are very complex, but it's not, they're not really that complex. You, you just need time, really. Um, and I think making that time is a very healing thing to do for oneself. I find it so anyway. I find it incredibly, just slowing down, just taking the foot off the accelerator for a day or so is it, it's sort of vital really for me to for my emotional health you called the book the pepper pot diaries why of all the things that you found was did you give it that name because of mama's recipe because of mama's recipe and how how it makes me feel when i cook it and it is also the national dish of antigua pepper pot um so i i kind of that was the that was the recipe that really kind of got me going on this kind of culinary story i suppose and when i cooked that dish when i got that recipe we, there's a, we've all got a little copy of my my grandmother's little memoir that she wrote um and the pe her pepper pot recipe is in that book so when i got that and i read it and i started to cook it it made me it it grounded me in the most extraordinary way and i just felt like i wanted to tell her i love her so it's kind of me telling my grandmother i love her even though you know she was she would send me things she kind of you know, because I was not an easy teenager. I know that's really hard to believe, Jenny. But I was <laughs> I was quite the handful. And there were always stories in my family. You know, the family's really big and spread out all over the world. And there were always letters or phone calls. Oh, Andy's done this. Andy's been in trouble. Andy's got in, not, not been at school or blah, blah. And my grandmother used to send me little presents and send me little books with a note in saying, be yourself. Don't, don't bend. <laughs> don't break be yourself essentially was always her long distance overseas message to me and I am so grateful for those little drops in the ocean that would kind of appear out of nowhere you know this was obviously before computers and phones and all of that so I'd get a little letter or I'd get a book or I'd get like a little corn doll or something from her and it just it just was always a a nod from her, a little kiss from her from so far away to tell me that she, even though we weren't together and didn't, you know, she had a lot of, I've got 160 cousins or something. She had a lot of grandchildren, but she still managed to reach out to send me that. Mm -hmm. So this is me reaching back, I guess. 
How absolutely wonderful. That's very, very moving. As was, I mean, I managed to get episode one on iPlayer. Actually, not even on iPlayer. I managed to hunt it down via Facebook. It's not available. Can't believe it. But I, I watched you meet all, well, a lot of your family in Antigua. Um, your second food moment, we'll talk a little bit about the Aki Kalaloo and, and, and saltfish. But this is an opportunity to really d- dive deep into your roots. You also meet a lot of people in that episode um, who have moved away from Britain to back to Antigua. And that's a really important part of what you found there. It's the kind of the discussion of race, which you are very, very vocal about all over social media, and rightly so. But here are people you're sitting down and talking to who are not members of your family, who are talking about why they have gone back to Antigua. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, it was it was interesting meeting because you know it's one of those things. I think I think if you come from a um, diasporic culture, there's always people talking about going home. People are always saying, "Oh, and so and so's gone home, or so and so's going to go home, or they're about to, or they built a house, or they have." So it was really interesting to meet people who weren't I wasn't related to, who had gone because they just had enough of being sort of in the minority, I guess, and they'd had enough of feeling marginalised in ways that I don't necessarily feel all the time at all, because otherwise I'd have gone as well, I suppose. Um, um, and it, well, they were living, they're living a life that is a beautiful life. But it's, it's interesting that they've gone back to where their parents came from, because like my mother, for instance, I can't get her to go to Antigua now. She can't, she's like, it's too far. And then when I get there, I get really bored. I'm like, why are you bored, mum? She's like, you know, the same reasons that she left are the same reason she doesn't really particularly want to go back now on a holiday or anything like that. She's been a few times, but she's sort of done now. She's 86, she can't be bothered to get on the plane. Um, so the, the reasons that our parents left are the same, are the, almost the, the inverse. It's the, the, same, the reasons that people go back to move there, this, you know, because it's quieter, because it's slower, because you're not in the minority. You know, being in a black country is is a... It's a real trip if you're not used to it, you know. It's like the first time I went to Antigua and, and there were more black people than anything else. I've, I'd never been in a country like that before. I'd never felt not in the minority. And it is an extraordinary feeling if you're always used to being in the minority. It does, you don't realise what being in the minority makes you, does to you actually on a, um, on a regular basis, you know. And, I I can totally I can see how the girls that you're talking about who were in the film, lovely girls, um, Shanna and her sister, uh, uh, they they their lives have grown exponentially for it, and it has been a beautiful thing. I think it can be quite tricky because people ide- idealize um, the country of their parents' birth or the land that their parents came from. And when you go back, like I say, when I first went to Antigua, they used to call me English gal all the time. It's like, you're not an Antiguan person going back to Antigua. You're a person of Antiguan heritage going to live in Antigua. And that's, that means that culturally there are some, you know, really big differences. And those can be very difficult to navigate for people. They are navigating it well. My cousins both love it and they're very, very happy. But there are stories that people have where it's not so easy and you so and then you end up feeling like you don't belong here you don't belong there so where do you belong is there is there a new place to go (laughs) where everything sort of works out and I think 
I think that that possibly has also to do with feeling settled within oneself because, you know, in therapy and in those kind of worlds, it's like you can do a geographical, you can move as much as you like. If you're not happy inside, you're not going to be happy wherever you are. You can be on the most beautiful beach in the world and you're still not going to be happy. And and food really kind of can help. I, you, I mean, you talk about it grounding, but, yes. you know, we've got Aki, we've got salt fish in it, all over Britain now. You have access to that, although you greedily go and buy everything on the stall in, in Antigua when you see it. But tell us about that particular dish. Um, it's a classic Jamaican ackee and saltfish. Ackee and saltfish is a Jamaican dish. It absolutely is. In Antigua, we don't really eat ackee. Most other islands don't eat ackee. Jamaicans are the only ones that really eat ackee in a plentiful amount and in a regular way. And it sort of features completely on their tables all the time. Ackee is a very unusual and fascinating ingredient because part of it is toxic um, and so to prepare it you've got to take all the outer shell off and then you have to open it up and it's quite fragile as well so you can quite easily um, destroy the the fruit itself so you have to open it up and inside there's like a little tiny piece of red it looks like rice paper or something, and you have to completely take that out because that that is got holds a lot of toxicity i mean They say it can kill you. I'm not sure how much of it you'd have to have for it to actually kill you. (laughs) But it can certainly make you very, very sick. So Jamaicans are the only ones that can actually be bothered to prepare ackee from fresh. I mean, most people just buy it in a tin. And when I saw it in Antigua fresh, I don't think I'd ever seen it. I'd never noticed it. I'd maybe seen it before and not known what it was a, a long time ago. I mean, this lady, she just had a table full of it. So I bought the whole table. And then that table, once it prepped down, was a bowl of ackee. You know, so it's one of those like high, high volume, low yield things. So you have to be really dedicated to bother. But oh, my goodness, it was really worth it. it it's just a, it's got this creamy sort of luxurious, silky texture and the flavour is like nothing on this planet, actually. Sort of pillowy, satiny, gorgeous thing. And uh, when you put that, pair that with saltfish, which is what it's naturally always paired with, the salinity of that salted fish with that creaminess of the ackee and then the irony callaloo, that is a little marriage in made in heaven. The three things together is just absolutely gorgeous. So it was really worth it. And I was, and my cousin Zafana, um, who is Jamaican Guyanese, she is, uh, she showed me how to do it make, to make sure I didn't poison anybody. So I'd never done that before. It was absolutely fascinating to me. You talk about having dinner with Maya Angelou in this amazing, magical evening, but she said something really interesting about where you come from. And you said you came from Antigua, but you're also English. And she looked you dead in the eye and said, well, that's just stupid. Why would you come from a place that doesn't want you? Doesn't want you. And I was quite shocked by it, obviously. And it was Maya Angelou. So I was was a bit like, oh, oh, (laughs) oh. And um, I didn't really know what to say, but I really thought about it over quite... I mean, I stood my ground and I said, well, you know, I don't believe that's true. And I do feel that an English rose looks like me, looks like everybody, looks like you, Jilly, looks like me, looks like, 
you know, everything in between. You know, we're possibly at two polar ends of, the, of what people look like spectrum and everything in between can also be an English rose. So that was kind of what I tried to say, but possibly with less conviction than that because it was Dr. Angelo after all. Um, uh, you know, and I, I was... I was pretty in awe of her and I still am she's just one of my favourite thinkers and writers and speakers but I really thought about it over quite a long time and, I, and when the penny dropped I thought yes because you're American, you're African American and, and for an African American the relationship they have with them is so different to the relationship that we have with, with our Britishness and with the countries that we come from, you know, be it an African country or a Caribbean country or wherever it is. I think there's a different um, structure to that relationship, you know. And so for me, I realised that the specificity of that, the, the real, you have to kind of inhabit it from the inside out to really understand what that feels like. My Britishness is innate and inherent and inescapable. So, you know, I could no more say I'm not British than I could say, I don't know, I'm not a 60-year-old bald black woman because the two things are inescapable and just a truth. I think she'd be amazed about your Wood Adley Kitchen, which is your third food moment. You say that it's stepping into your own power and your dreams. And you feel that something has led you to come here to work, creating light, power and beauty and honouring those who've come before us from the UK, Africa and the Americas. It's a project of cultural exchange. Tell us about that. And what do you think Maya would have to say about it? I think Maya would love that. One of the one of the things that I think is quite tricky uh, in terms of the diasporic culture is that it, it, it's, there's, it's not like a simple jigsaw where everything just sort of slots together because there are so many other factors involved. But I think when we reach out to each other, when we reach back, we are at the same time stepping forward. So food to me is a brilliant vehicle for that and a brilliant way to push ourselves forward and to push ourselves um, through the difficulty of the past. You know, the, the past is such a, an, a, a dark territory for all of us, when we when we look at in the history of enslavement and colonialism and all of that story, it's a it's a very difficult, checkered, painful story for us all to explore, whatever angle it is that you're coming from. And what we want to do with Wadadley Kitchen is to honour the past, honour our ancestors, give them back their name, give them back their dignity through the food legacy that they have left for us. And then also honour ourselves and honour the future and step towards it with excitement and with light and with hope. And to me, this is a very important facet of this conversation because the past is irretrievable you know we can't change any of that stuff that happened we can't we can't go back and make it better but we can make sure that the future is better and we can make sure the future is fairer and we can make sure the future is honorable and you know this may that may sound a lot to um put on a food project but for me food is my love language and it's my language of intimacy and my language of hope and light and that's I think um, you know this is I think a universal thing breaking bread all over the world is the way that we say to people hi I love you hi come in 
Hi, let's sit down. Let's see what, what we have in common. Let's talk about our differences and get excited about those differences. The differences are something that we should be celebrating and glorying in. You know, the, the, the point of the life is not to become some homogenized thing that we're all exactly the same. I think the fact that we're all very different and have all these different uh, stories to tell is the most exciting thing in the world. And so with Wadadi, that's what we're seeking to do. I'm going to Barbados tomorrow, actually, because um, oh, we were supposed to do it and then the pandemic happened. So we haven't been able to do any of them. So we're finally back on our feet with starting the first of these dinners and we're going to, to do a, a cultural dinner, an exchange dinner with um, my friend Sophie Michelle, who has a restaurant there called The Local & Co. It's right on the beach in Spikestown. It's absolutely beautiful. All of her staff are Bajan chefs who are work and they're working with local produce they're working with local producers they're working working with local companies small artisan companies and then they've chained turned a whole salt quarry into a, an organic farm and i couldn't be more excited about it <laughs> and would your fourth food moment uncle arnold's pear rum and sultana cake make it onto any one of those dinners that's about home for you isn't it oh my uncle arnold was such a lovely man i adored him completely he was a you know the um you know the Cane Mason children? You know Sheku Cane Mason who plays the cello, who played at Harry and Meghan's wedding? You know him and all his brothers and sisters? He was their, he's their granddad, Uncle Arnold. They're all his grandchildren. He was an amazing man. His kids are great. His grandkids are great. And he was a brilliant uncle to me. I adored him. And he, um, when he passed... I went to his house with my mum and my cousin Rhonda and they'd sold the house. This was the house we all grew up in. We had loads of parties at my Aunt Edith and Uncle Arnold's house, running up and down those stairs, in and out the house. I just, you know, remember being a little kid in that house, having the best time with all my cousins, you know, <laughs> charging about this house and brilliant music, loads of fantastic food. Uh, my Aunt Edith is a great cook and my Aunt Gwen would cook. My Aunt Gwen's one of the best cooks I've ever met in my life. She's incredible. And... Um, so I, I picked a whole bunch of pears from his garden. He was a real keen gardener as well, avid gardener. So I picked a whole bunch of pears, the last pears I was going to get from his garden. And I went home and I made a cake for him. And the rum is to cigarette. He taught me how to drink rum when I was a teenager. He was like, no, don't. I was like drinking something. He was like, what is that? That is not how you drink rum. Gave me a ginger ale golden rum always only drink golden rum andrea only drink golden rum antigua rum english harbor um and uh so i drank this rum and ginger ale with a squeeze of lime and a not too much ice that's the perfect rum drink so this cake is again a love letter for my uncle arnold it's a little note to uncle arnold Thanks for listening. Do follow me on Instagram. I'm at Smith, and on Substack, where you'll find a little extra bites from Andy from her first Wadadley cultural exchange dinner in Barbados just after recording this episode. Just search for Jilly Smith on Substack. And I'll see you next week. <laughs>